Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetics industry. This is episode 339. I'm your host in live person, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello. Hello, virtual Val. I mean, real Val. How are you? It's good to have yeah. you back. Well, I, I was virtual last week because I was traveling, but I'm back today because we're going to answer some great questions together about what is Hexel Resorcinol doing in your skincare? How should you treat highlighted hair that's getting a little crispy feeling? Can you use benzoyl peroxide on your underarms? What's the deal with sunscreens? Do they really just stop working? And finally, is it okay to use dog conditioner on your own human hair? But first, that inane chit chat. Well, speaking of dogs, how are your new dogs? Butch and Frank are doing good. They're getting better. Oh, good. <laughs> Frank Are is they... just misunderstood. He's misunderstood. Oh, <laughs> yes. And he's still chewing stuff. Yes. I don't know if you can hear him in the background. They're still going oh. at it. They have not stolen AirPods, but they did uh, get Mr. Cosmetic Chemist spare glasses. And they're the ones he didn't like. So he was a little unhappy, uh, pretty unhappy, actually, uh, but not too unhappy because they weren't his favorite pair. Sure. Give them a good reason to get new ones. Oh, I remember the days of puppies. Boy, oh boy, they chew on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just Frank, which is fine. All right. Sure, sure. If you saw Frank's face, you would be like, yep, he's Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was raining like a gale here today, and uh, the the poor porch kitties were all getting drenched. Oh, where do they hide when it rains? Uh, wherever they can. Little Puffers was in the in the bush, and then he he saw me open the door, and he ran in the house, and he oh, didn't want to leave. Puffers. <laughs> yeah, I I toweled him off. What did Ted though. have to say about it? Well, I I had the closed doors, so I keep them separated. You you can't really mix outdoor cats and indoor cats. No, Ted's not gonna like that. You know, I got into a little debate uh, the other night. Because uh, of this thing I saw about, you know, you know how I drink Diet Coke. Yeah. Didn't the World Health Organization just say they're thinking about labeling it a carcinogen? Yeah. And so then all, you know, all these artificial sweetener naysayers are like, hey, that's going to cause cancer. I'm like, come on. It's not going to cause cancer. But yeah, the World Health Organization, you know, they are like a, uh, they're like a political body, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you got to respect what they say, but you also have to respect what the National Institutes of Health is saying and the American Cancer Society, which isn't that it's carcinogen. So, I don't know. What, what is a person supposed to believe, Valerie? It's really hard, to be honest. And what I say is if you like it and you seem to be doing fine and you want to drink it, you should be able to guzzle as much Diet Coke as you want. Isn't everything a carcinogen, though, too? I mean, if, yeah, if you have enough of it. I mean, the World Health Organization even says it's, or at least the U.S. limits are like, for a person who weighs like 135 pounds, uh, for it to be a problem, you have to drink like 12 cans a day. And, mm. you know, I don't drink 12 cans a day. I drink, drink one can, so maybe two. I think that's fine. In moderation. You know what I, I found most amusing? I, mean, I was having this debate with somebody. 
while she was drinking a glass of wine and I was drinking my Diet Coke. I'm like, you know wine causes cancer, right? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Look at you, starting stuff. I know. I, I, had, to, I had to stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of starting stuff, let's head over to Beauty Science News. Let's do it. Well, one article I saw, I thought this would really get your uh, goat here. Canada bans animal testing of cosmetics. It's actually protecting my goat because I can't <laughs> test on goats anymore. <laughs> That's, that, that was a good one. You got me. I walked right into that. Oh, gosh. No, I, I I think this is actually uh, all right, I guess. Um, yeah, so essentially Canada has passed legislation banning cosmetic testing on animals. So what does that mean? They're prohibiting the sale of cosmetics that rely on new animal testing data or feature false or misleading labeling regarding animal testing. So you can't lie about not testing on animals. So really, you can use all the old data that was produced on animals. You just can't produce any new data, I guess. And is it the same loophole that exists elsewhere in the world where it's animal testing for use in cosmetics? That's a good question. They, they, didn't, they didn't get into that. The animal protection advocates and beauty industry leaders had collaborated with the government to develop this legislation. So there's that. I mean, I think it's a good thing. It's more in alignment with what the rest of the world is doing. I just don't know if it will change things. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people aren't testing on animals anymore anyway, really. Exactly. This is more, uh, I don't know, it's it's more feel-good legislation, but it's, I don't think it will actually affect anything. I will say, you know, Canada is now, according to the article, the 44th company uh, country to implement laws restricting or eliminate cosmetic animal testing and sales. 44 out of 197. So there's still a few left. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. <laughs> still a few left. Well, I think this was the article that I thought would really get your go. It was something I saw on thehill.com. It's an opinion piece. I think that's an accurate and polite description of it by Representative Jan Schakowsky from oh, Illinois, boy. your okay. home state. Oh, yeah. yeah. And basically, Thanks. she says, Do you know what's in your makeup? Me neither. And really, she said this is quite unacceptable. Uh, the cosmetics legislation standpoint in the United States and while mocha is great, um, it's not done. And there's so many unsafe chemicals hiding in beauty and personal care products. The thing that I knew would upset you was their reference to the fact that EU law has banned a ton of chemicals while the U.S. has only banned or restricted 11. Oh, my God. I, That's your least favorite argument, huh? This is one of our own representatives, of course. And, you know, actually, she lost me right away. Because this, this article from The Hill was written by this representative. Correct. From the good state piece. of Illinois. Mm -hmm. She opens it up with, I have watched a as clean beauty has grown from a niche category of products to a movement. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it just depresses me how... Uh, a marketing position gets, uh, people are just getting tricked here. And, yeah. you know, legislators should know better. She does, but I think in order to get people uh, feeling excited about moving the needle in whatever direction, you have to scare them with lots of data and talk about the risk uh, that they have, even if the risk is very low, right? Because at the end of the day, no matter what geography you're selling in, it's illegal to 
uh, sell unsafe products. And I also think this article is a pitch for her to promote the Toxic Free Beauty Act, co-authored with Representative Lizzie Fletcher from Texas. And I think, um, you know, that's great. Uh, I don't know how it's going to change things because without any rhyme or reason about why these chemicals get added to the list, uh, we'll just have a list of chemicals banned um, without any data behind it. I'm not thrilled to see another act here. Yeah, I mean, MOCRA hasn't even gone in got, been implemented yet and so you can't see how that's going to impact things and it's you know, not say, good enough i guess well i i guess people need something to complain about but rest assured as far as i'm concerned consumers beauty products were already safe they are safe passage of mocha is going to make more paperwork and you know maybe people feel like they're more safe i don't think it's actually going to increase safety but as far as they're concerned, they think more needs to be done to ensure safety, beauty for all. And I suppose that's that could be true because right now you can go on Etsy and buy some uh, cosmetic that was made in somebody's kitchen who didn't put in preservatives. So if you could outlaw that kind of stuff, I suppose more could be done, huh? Exactly. What did you see this week? Well, I, I stumbled on a couple of things from Happy, and Olay has teamed up with Kate the Chemist to break dry skin cycle with a hyaluronic acid scheme so now what most you know most most interested me in this here was first of all uh kate the chemist i had never heard of kate the chemist had had you heard of kate the chemist yes but i didn't know she worked for olay (laughs) well you know it's one of those things like if you're gonna an influencer you have a big audience a big company might pay you big money to uh help them promote products so but she's not a cosmetic chemist that's the other thing she's not a cosmetic chemist but she is she does play a a chemist on the internet (laughs) to be fair she is a chemist i mean she's got a degree and such but it seems more she's more of a science communicator now and she has a big audience and that was enough to get olay's attention and get you know hire them now I do wonder why wouldn't P and G hire like one of the chemists that actually works on the product to be their spokesperson? But wouldn't that pretty cool? It'd be like, wow, that's the person that developed it, and they're telling me why they put it together. That would feel pretty good. I actually used to have the privilege of doing that when I worked at a large salon brand. I was the face of R and D for the company, and I had so many videos featuring me. And most of them, I didn't even know where they went. They would just be like, "Oh, we're recording today," and I would record or whatever. But it felt really good to be like, "Hi, I'm one of the faces behind the products." I, I wonder how their R and D team feels that they their face will never be seen. Yeah, it it can't feel exactly good because I can understand if you get a celebrity who is like an actor and they're plugging a product. That's one thing. But now when you have to go hire out a chemist who, <laughs> for the science piece, you're like, oh, I guess uh, I guess our own internal chemists weren't good enough. But <laughs> but I'm sure Kate does a, a fine job. I saw seen some of her videos. They're entertaining. And so maybe that's just what they were looking for. Although I have to say, come on, hyaluronic acid body wash? Come on, who are you crapping me with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just rinses down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hydrates your bathtub. Uh, 
This is this is why we're not getting uh, picked to be influencers for brands. Yeah, we are not. Although one time I was approached by a very large company. I won't say who it was. And this was back when they were having a shampoo debacle. And they said, you know, can we uh, hire you to create some video content and explain, you know, basically the, the truth. And, you know, I don't like to take money. Um, so sure. I just said, well, I'll do it for free because I you're right there is no problem people are making a kerfluffle over nothing and sure uh, i guess they didn't want to hire me for free oh so <laughs> they they yeah. turned you down yeah you couldn't they be wanted bought. to pay <laughs> i couldn't be bought although i was supporting their initiative so anyway i digress excuse me while i take this sip of this cancer-causing diet coke <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh, i still got i still can drink 11 more before I, it's a problem so <laughs> All right, are we ready to move on to questions? Our first question comes to us from Marianne. Hi, Valerie and Perry. Thank you so much for answering my previous questions. Oh, I knew I recognized the name. I just got oh, an email nice. from Paula's Choice. Marianne's subscribed because she loves her 2% BHA about their new product, Resist Triple Active Repair Serum that contains 0.3% retinoid, 5% niacinamide, and 0.4% hexyl resorcinol. I immediately googled this ingredient, hexyl resorcinol, as I'd never heard of it, and it seems to be a local anesthetic, antiseptic, and enthelmintic. So my questions are, what is this, does it do anything, and what are the possible implications of this ingredient? I understand it's enthelmintic means it destroys parasitic worms. Well, well that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, have you heard of Hexel Resorcinol? Yes, I had heard of Hexel Resorcinol. I did a uh, I did a deep dive into all the skincare active ingredients, and Hexel Resorcinol was one of those. Uh, it's a mostly it's an antioxidant uh, used for uh, skin brightening and some anti aging properties, I guess. Yeah, it actually has similar efficacy, or as the ingredient suppliers like to say, four times the efficacy of hydroquinone. It's a skin brightener that inhibits melanogenesis and also uh, produces glutathione, uh, which helps with uh, whitening and brightening of skin. A couple fun facts about hexyl resorcinol. It actually has grass, generally recognized as safe status. Did you know that? I did not know that, no. It's an effective anti-browning agent for prevention of melanosis in shrimp. Oh, so you can eat it. There you go. You can. It's also a very effective inhibitor of surface browning on fresh cut fruits like apples and pears and mangoes. And it works synergistically with ascorbic acid. And there's a, a mechanism um, that, you know, you can read about it if you want on the internet. Uh, but it definitely uh, works in that way. Also uh, is used as in a throat lozenge that's another way it can so, be used which probably speaks to some of the effects marianne's talking about yeah but if it's a, a, a anti-browning agent so stops the malleard reaction so that's a antioxidant essentially exactly but it also has the antiseptic action uh, because it is used in those throat lozenges Oh, right right so mm -hmm. skin brightening it's uh known for its ability to help brighten skin they said Better than hydroquinone? Come on. That's what Come they on. say. Really? 
Okay. You know, but they're also right. interested in selling us ingredients, so you have that, to take it with a that is bit true. of a uh, grain of salt. But I, you know, this one company actually does reference a lot of scientific literature, so I, I kind of believe them. Yeah, and I just think if it did do that, why wouldn't they get approved as a, a skin lightening ingredient as a drug? Um, because the only skin lightening or skin brightening ingredient approved in the U.S. as a drug is hydroquinone. And, mm. of course, that has problems. So I see these ingredients. They, they talk about vitamin C being a, a, a skin lightener, niacinamide, um, and hexyl resorcinol. But if they really work, why aren't they approved as drugs? Eh, just something to think about. Money time I suppose, uh, I suppose so. you know yeah i guess yeah yeah okay okay <laughs> it's easier to just say it does it and then not have to prove that so. all right so a skin brightener so that's pro- and it's uh, anti-aging it's supposed to be able to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkle- wrinkles because of its ability to stimulate the production of collagen yeah okay i guess if it <laughs> How do you get it down to the dermis to do that? That's that's a mystery. So, but you know that that's one of those things you could show it in a petri dish, and then you're like, oh, it stimulates collagen, but it doesn't get down through the derm, down through the epidermis, down all the way low enough yeah. to do that. So then it's not really a drug because if it actually did this, then it would be considered a drug and mislabeled and such. So you get the benefits of the claim without actually having to do the drug work. Yeah. All right, so that's uh, that's why it's in there, and it's used to destroy parasitic worms, apparently, <laughs> and help your throat. Yeah, so I would say uh, it's you know probably very effective, and I think you know with these three ingredients combined together, the retinoid, the niacinamide, hexyl resorcinol, probably looks like a pretty good product. Yeah, I'm I I do wonder though, uh, like why do you need all three? What's the hexyl resorcinol doing that the niacinamide's not doing? Mm. Well, I think the key word is triple. If you just had hexyl resorcinol, that's not, you know, you can't call a product something as exciting as triple active, right? That's a good point. Single active. I mean, triple's like always better. It's like, ooh, I'm getting punched three different ways. That's a good point because... Resist double active. It doesn't sound as good as resist triple active. So, so there exactly. you go. Exactly. Okay. That's what well, I think. Well, you make a good point. You make a good point, and uh, it's probably why it's in there. As you said, it's it's coming from Paula's Choice, which is owned by Unilever these days. That's correct. And uh, I'm sure they've got the studies to show that it's a perfectly fine product. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure. I'm yeah. going to guess they do. They probably yeah, do. Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I would think so. <laughs> yeah. The big companies at least run the studies, so we got yeah. that going for us. It would be interesting to know how quickly it takes hexyl resorcinol to show any effect, because with niacinamide, you definitely need time for that, daily use time, mm-hmm. at least 28 days. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how quickly hexyl resorcinol acts on skin. Huh. Yeah. Well, that could be a reason why you add uh, extra ingredient that does the same thing but if it does it a little faster but maybe not as well it can make it appear you're getting results faster yeah Mm -hmm. i do see one article from a supplier saying that combining hexyl resorcinol with niacinamide actually provides very effective skin even toning for all skin colors 
Okay, well, that's why the Hexel resource and all is in there. All right, let's move on. Dear Beauty Brains, thank you so much for all the knowledge you are sharing with us. I started getting some highlights half a year ago and noticed my ends to become very crispy, rough, and dry. I know I am due to a cut and would like to know what I should do to better protect my ends after the haircut. I am washing my hair twice a week, and I am using a sulfate shampoo and a rinse-out conditioner without silicones. My hair is very fine and I do not have much of it. Do you have ingredient or product suggestions I should look out for to help protect my hair? Thank you in advance. Well, thank you, Virtual Sarah. <laughs> you know, if you don't, if you send us a question in, we might just virtually create your voice just so, you know, Valerie and I aren't the only ones talking on the show. But <laughs> we thank you for that. You don't question. like my voice? I think people like my voice. I've been recognized on phone calls for being on the podcast. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, I have. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> We're big in, on, on phone calls. All right, so uh, what are you thinking? She's got crispy hair, like like Rice Krispies hair or something. Yeah, well, definitely a trim is necessary to get that removed yeah. because there's not much that's going to make that feel better and make it feel like the rest of your old hair. So you definitely need a trim. Uh, but once you get your hair cut, in order to better protect your ends, you just need a really good conditioner that's appropriate for your hair type. I probably would focus less on what's in it. I know you mentioned you don't use silicones, but there are a lot of excellent silicones for fine hair yeah. uh, that will help go root to tip and protect your hair. Uh, so I would focus on the overall end result and what the shampoo and conditioner manufacturer are saying the products do for you. Look for things like volumizing or lightweight or even the word rinse. A rinse is a super lightweight conditioner appropriate if your hair is super fine and you don't have a lot of it. Yeah, I will say, uh, it, it, you know, my advice would be if you're having, if you're getting dry, crispy hair, rough ends, um, how about you try a sulfate shampoo and use silicones? Because <laughs> those, some of those sulfate-free surfactants can be a bit drying. They can be. Mm -hmm. Well, I think they leave a residue on hair. Right, They right. leave a residue. They don't it's rinse hard out to get as off. much. Right, right. So it's like, mm -mm. it's that buildup problem that you're worried about with silicones. You're getting that from the sulfate-free surfactant because they just don't rinse out as well also. And the silicones, you could use uh, what? So like a phenyl trimethicone or a cyclomethicone that's going to give you the silicone benefit and it'll evaporate off over time. So it's not going to build up. Yeah. Well, I hope that helps, Sarah. All right. Our next question comes to us from Misty. Misty is a Patreon. If you would like to help support the podcast and keep it ad free, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash beauty brains and subscribe at any level so we don't have to take that pesky advertisement money. Yeah. It's, we can't be bought. <laughs> we, we cannot be bought. Although we might be rented. I don't <laughs> no, just That's kidding. a good way to look at it. <laughs> Misty says, Hi, Valerie and Perry. I follow Dr. Dre, a dermatologist on YouTube. She recommends using a benzoyl peroxide wash like Panoxyl for underarms to help with bacteria that cause odor. Question is, is benzoyl peroxide safe to use on underarms? And does it actually work to prevent odor? Thanks. P.S. I thought the demonstration of AI for your intro was interesting. It did sound a little off without variation in pitch or maybe because there wasn't background music. Anyway, thanks for sharing. Oh, nice. I, was, I always wonder what people think of that because uh, I think the 
the voices sound I, they they do have a little less emotion to them, but boy, they're pretty yeah. close. <laughs> this is our future with AI guys. Is. This is what we have to look forward to. Don't succumb to oh. it. Turn off chat GTP, <laughs> turn off the AI. Do not let a robotic Valerie get out into you this know, world. You're you like, don't want to be in that in that brain. You're like someone driving a horse and buggy in the when the cars were coming. Because <laughs> eventually you can't you're gonna have Pretty to stop. much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. I'll stay on my horse and buggy. <laughs> Benzoyl peroxide under your arms. Uh first of all, I have you heard of Dr. Dre, YouTuber? I have, yeah, but I didn't know about benzoyl peroxide under your arms or the wash. Yeah, I didn't either, but you know, it kind of makes sense. Uh, benzoyl peroxide is, uh, you know, antimicrobial, and so microbes yeah. are the stuff that cause underarm odor. Um, now, a different, it's a different kind of microbe, but uh, maybe benzoyl peroxide works on it. Well, I think so, and you know, we're cosmetic chemists, but Dr. Dre is a dermatologist making that recommendation and this seems kind of like you know an off-label prescription type option right even though it's not a prescription yeah exactly now they say for underarm use it can be particularly helpful if you're dealing with skin conditions like folliculitis uh, acne or uh, hydrodenitis suprarativa which is a painful chronic condition results for lumps and abscesses in areas like the armpits wow that sounds painful yeah, that does. That sounds like an accurate description. Yeah. Now, benzoyl peroxide can be a little bit drying, so maybe you should use a moisturizer while you're using it. Uh, although, I suppose if the panoxyl uh, probably has that already in it, right? You, something like hyaluronic acid, you mean? <laughs> or glycerin. Uh, although, I suppose hyaluronic acid We're coming isn't, full circle. isn't as sticky as glycerin. Yes, hyaluronic acid, is a, it would be a good one for that makes it together yeah. well what i thought about immediately during this question what i thought about is that benzoyl peroxide can stain clothes so i but that's leave-on so i wonder if in a body wash if it could do the same thing yeah that's a good question so don't leave it on or don't worry about getting stains on your shirt uh, maybe that's one reason people don't use it more but as far as a body wash goes i do have to wonder if you're using it as a body wash, isn't it just mostly just getting rinsed down the drain? So I'm not sure how much benefit you're going to get from mm. a body wash there. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. It's because very difficult. But it must work if people buy it, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and somebody's buying it, right? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you know. that's it's, true. But as far as her advice goes, she's a dermatologist and at least on a topic like this about whether a drug is effective for a certain condition... I would have faith in what a dermatologist is saying. What about the lady in the Loom deodorant commercials? What about her? You know, the ones that appear if you're watching Game Show Network? I have not seen the Loom uh, deodorant commercials. Oh, uh. gosh. It's, it's something to enjoy. So <laughs> basically, this lady tells you how to apply her cream deodorant. And actually, the reviews are really great on it. And she says, put a dollop on your finger. Put it on just like a lotion under your arms. Yeah. Boobs butt crack feet huh. i mean she has like a whole list of like <laughs> wow. stuff uh that she goes through and she like actually shows the tube like wow, wow. you know she'll like you know move sure like she's sure. wiping her butt or something sure. <laughs> it's, 
I'll have to put a link to it's one of those commercials. It's a gem of a commercial. Oh. But, uh, you know, people are really enjoying that. So I don't know if any of our Beauty Brains fans have tried it. I'd love to hear feedback. So I'm like, you know, it'd be interesting to try. I see this commercial so often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds good. Uh, and uh, so it should be effective. Uh, but, yeah, you have, you have to try it and see. Yeah. Oh, this next one is another one from Patreon. It just goes by a pale runner. So he says, I was going to record a phone message, but I heard your episode with an AI voice sample, and you have my permission to give me a fantastic AI voice. <laughs> so let's go to the AI. Oh, what do we imagine pale runners sounding like? This is exciting. Um, What do you think? Uh, does, does pale runner sound like somebody from the UK? Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, take it away, pale runner. Hello, beauty brains. I was going to record a phone message, but then I heard your episode with the AI voice samples. You have my permission to give me a fantastic AI voice instead. I really hope you are not tired of answering sunscreen questions because we have a good-natured debate going on in my marathon training group, and you are the only people that can solve it. The stakes are high. The loser has to do speed work. So please give it to us straight. My family has a history of skin cancer. Even here in the relatively mild northeast, I wear sunscreen every day, year-round. It's like my second full-time job. On long training days, I put SPF 50 sunscreen on early in the morning before eating and heading out for our group runs. I feel I get a better application if I put it on before I get dressed. At our meet-up spot, one of my training partners scolded me for not putting on sunscreen as we got ready to run. I mentioned that I already had it on. She said that sunscreen only lasts for two hours, and so by the time I arrived at the distant trailhead to start running, I only had about a half hour of sunscreen life left, and so needed to reapply now. I countered by showing her my pasty, zinc-encrusted skin. Surely if I can still see the sunscreen, it is still going strong. Besides, I have been running that way for years, and am as pale as ever. I don't even have a tan line around my watch to show for it. She countered that I may still be mostly protected from the UVB rays that cause tanning burning, but that the dreaded aging UVA rays were getting through. She said I'd look like the protagonist in The Old Man and the Sea in a few years and would be ruining the day that I ignored her sage counsel. The debate raged on for 15 miles. I had to admit she made some good points, but that might have just been the endorphins talking. We called a truce and decided we needed to do some actual research. All the reputable sources agree with my wise friend. They give the same standard line to reapply every two hours, especially after sweating or swimming. But it is still not clear to me where that number comes from. I know that sunscreen doesn't wear tiny little watches. There has to be a physical or chemical mechanism at work. So how is it degrading and why? Do the chemicals degrade upon exposure to oxygen? Is the estimate based on the average rate that skin sloughs off? Does exposure to heat and light play a role? For example, is my cool, dark, early morning breakfast and drive to the trailhead using up sunscreen time? Or is it more like my sundial's motto, I count only sunny hours? Please settle our debate. Am I turning into a sunscreen pumpkin when the clock strikes two, or am I still Casper the ghost until I see it sweat off? Thank you. Well, thank you. Love to uh, weigh in on debates. Well, I would say not at two hours, but two hours and one minute, boom, your sunscreen is completely ineffective uh, and you need to apply more. Wait, did you start selling sunscreens? Because <laughs> that sounds suspiciously what yeah. a sunscreen manufacturer might say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I like that the uh, debate raged on for 15 
miles. Yeah, they they ran they ran a lot. <laughs> well, you know, it's a it's marathon season somewhere, and you know you got to do that fifteen miler. Yeah. All right. So this is an interesting question because it does say on most bottles it says you know reapply after two hours, and I could see from a consumer standpoint they're. They might be saying, like, okay, well, during that two hours, what is happening? Why, like, why is the sunscreen, is the sunscreen just stop working? And this is kind of, this is what's happening. So you put sunscreen on, and if you stayed in a dark room in your house and you put sunscreen on, the sunscreen, nothing would happen to it, right? It would just sort of sit on your skin, yeah. maybe get into your epidermis, but... It's just going to hang out. Right. If it's not exposed to any... Uh, UV radiation, ultraviolet light, then nothing happens. So it doesn't break down. So if you're putting it on in your house and then you're driving in the car and you're getting to uh, your your running spot, um, it's not like it's been breaking down the entire time you were driving, as long as it was not really getting exposed to sun. Now, the one caveat there, though, is that when you put it on, you create a film on the surface of your skin. And the longer that you have that film on, the more you're like moving around and it's getting exposed. And so you could start to get little cracks in that film that's on your skin. And in those areas where the film has cracked, then you could get some UV penetration at those areas. So, I mean, ideally, I guess the ideal thing is to put it on right right before you go outside, right? But... I don't think there's a measurable difference between the way you're doing it versus the way your friend has suggested to do it. Yeah, and furthermore, when you do it right when you're outside, it does take a minute for this film to set up, for the product to uh, soak into the outer layer of your skin and provide this protective barrier. So I would say even in that first portion, uh, you're being exposed to rays. Right. Uh, So tomato, tomato, right? Yeah. I think... Also, uh, Pale Runner, to your point, if you're putting on this very thick, crusty zinc oxide film, like you're really lathering this stuff on, I would say you have very good coverage. And the fact is, most people just don't apply sunscreen very well at all. It's it's well established, and most people aren't often getting the SPF value that they think they are. So if you can see this very heavy, opaque layer on your skin and the other person is wearing a more translucent sunscreen, I would say, you know, you probably have a little more SPF coverage. Right. I I think so, too. Uh, And the idea is uh, there is no... Valerie is being facetious in the beginning, but there is no like little timer that says, "Oh, you've been this long," and it, oh, it just completely stops working. That's not how it. That's not how it works. It's just a gradual over time. And the reason that manufacturers say uh, reapply after two hours is because that's the safest advice you can give, and also it you know helps. To make you use up more sunscreen, I think it's a, it's also legally required by the FDA based on their testing methodologies. Ex- exactly, there is that too. That too. I mean, it, it it is also a little bit like a if you look at a bottle of shampoo, they say you know shampoo and then repeat, right? Like like it's a little yeah. bit of overkill. Uh, but like you say, the FDA says to do it, so that's why everyone agrees you should do it. I think the way you're applying it. I don't think you're going to be turning into the old man in the sea anytime soon because that guy didn't wear any sunscreen. Yeah. Meanwhile, Perry, who wears no sunscreen, will be the old man in the sea. 
Au contraire, I Unless do. Unless the aspartame can protect him. <laughs> I do, I guess, no, I do wear sunscreen. We should just not leave that out there. I, I don't wear it as frequently as is recommended, but if I'm going to be out in the sun a lot, I have no problem putting sunscreen on. I, I don't like to get burned. <laughs> I don't even like to get tanned, so I mostly go with the strategy to cover up as much skin as I can, so, so that's why I don't use as much sunscreen as recommended. What about during your marathon days? What do you do? When I get, if I'm going to go running, do a long run, I certainly will put on sunscreen because, you know, I've I've been burned. So <laughs> I don't like to get my, I don't yeah. like my skin to be burned. So you've been burned literally and figuratively. I, I have. And, you know, when I go golfing, I always put on sunscreen because so, you're going to be out there like four hours. In the, that you should. Is it the same sunscreen as in your golf bag? Uh, for when you run no when you no play when, golf. I, when i run i i use the the stuff that my wife has got and she keeps that refreshed because she, she is a good sunscreen user <laughs> oh good so you just pick up her tube and wear it i i do exactly can i ask what it is uh it's probably one of those active sport ones oh, okay yeah all right so, yeah, all right you know. it, it works well <laughs> well i hope we uh have worked out that debate for you pale runner and good luck with the training yes good luck with your skin and your running. It's like we got time for one more. Yeah, one more question. It comes to us from Kaylin. Hi, Valerie and Perry. I love your podcast and have been listening to it for years. I'd really appreciate your input on this dog conditioner I got for my Bichon Frise. It works wonders on smoothing the coat and smells amazing. I'm very tempted to use it on myself, but I wanted your opinion on whether it's a good idea. Let me know what you think. Thank you, Kaylin. Dog conditioner. Uh, this reminds me of the question where people asked if they could use that like horse shampoo on themselves. Mane and tail. Yeah, yeah mane and I tail. remember That's that. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, eventually they actually launched a human version. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Very interesting question because at the end of the day, uh, dog products are for dogs, human products are for humans, and they're not really regulated quite the same way. And this is because. One's for pets and and the other's not. But I always like to think, I worked for a brand that had a pet care line, and I would always say, but usually a human's doing the washing, right? Right. So when you're applying the shampoo or the conditioner to your pet's coat, your hands are coming into contact with it. So why wouldn't it be regulated as a human product? That's a good point. Yeah, I always thought that that was interesting. And so from that angle... I don't know if this brand, this particular product you've referenced, has undergone the same toxicology testing or even formulation guidelines for formulating this pet product as if a human. Well, I will mention in their marketing material on their website, they say we do all our testing on humans, uh, so no dogs are harmed for testing. So now, I don't know if that's proper testing. I would, I, I kind of doubt it, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's also something a lot of pet brands say to be cute, like tested on humans, right. not animals, right. you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, now, I, they aren't required to put the ingredient list on their product because uh, this isn't a cosmetic, this is a pet product, so the rules are different. However, on their website, they do have a list of ingredients, and the ingredients are a lot of oils and then some various extracts, honey, we got aloe, we've got a variety of chamomile, fruits, uh, grape seed extracts. So just a lot mm. of naturally sounding stuff. Now, I look at this ingredient list and I know 
if the spray is the way it's described, uh, then they they couldn't possibly have listed all of the ingredients that are in here. They seem to have only listed like the things that sound natural. Uh, so they yeah, it seems like they're missing a few things. Yeah, like yeah. I don't know conditioning agents. Right, 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 and preservatives. <laughs> like okay. But I could see them not wanting to put those things in there because they don't sound very natural. And they don't have to because you don't have to put any ingredients in this. So as far as you're using it, though, you could find a good leave-in conditioner, right? You don't need to use a dog product. And while human hair and dog hair are made of the same proteins, they're not exactly the same. Uh, Dogs also don't have the same oils that we secrete they they secrete their own oils so products you, you wouldn't you shouldn't expect the way that it works on a dog's hair is necessarily going to work the same way for your own hair yeah dogs also have a uh, slightly different uh, depending on the dog fur i guess i don't know much about a bichon frise but they do have a slightly different cuticle um, structure than we do theirs is very uniform um, traveling down the hair, mm-hmm. and ours is a little, a little jagged, a little less, I yeah. would say. A little jagged. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are there are some differences. So even if it works very well for the dog, it might not work very well for your hair. And you know there are good leave-on conditioners on the market. So <laughs> I'd encourage you to go for the human ones. <laughs> what do you think? I agree. Better to be safer in that sense than I don't know if you'll ever be sorry because I don't know if you'll ever know, but just better to be safer. Yeah, yeah. Although I will say it's it's probably not unsafe, but then again, I don't apply as much sunscreen as I should, so, so maybe not take my oh, advice. Goodness. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, man. let me get let me get this cancer causing drink into my body here while while we read the end yeah. credits here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, the music's playing, everyone. That's all we have time for. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us a review? That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Speaking of questions, if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Or we might have to keep applying those artificial AI voices that just really lack emotion in the human touch. They're going to get better, Valerie. <laughs> hey, the I beauty- don't want it. <laughs> hey, the Beauty Brains are also on Patreon, as you've heard. We don't have any commercials here, and the only way that we can support the show is by you going over to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. And now patrons get a transcript of the show. And I'm working on putting some more stuff that only patrons get. So uh, feel free to subscribe. And we thank all of our patrons who keep this show going for you. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. We have a Facebook page. And for now, TikTok. That's right, TikTok. Huh? And soon we'll start publishing more stuff on <laughs> By the time we get our TikTok up, there's going to be a brand new social media app. So I don't know. Oh, I up. wonder if there's a chat GPT talk. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you.
kittens. <laughs>